Chapter 28, Celadone City Hospital And that's, well, that, Bill finished, turning to the two teens sitting on the love seat. A rumor spread that the third conduit was killed when the lighthouse collapsed. Which wasn't true at all, Meowth added, his attention still on the magazine. I would know, I was the only one that made it. Well, until Butch and Cassidy took me back to their little prison for twelve years. So, everyone thought I was dead. Blue said, staring at her hands in her lap, her voice tiny. So, I'm not the last conduit. No, you're not, Bill said, sending the girl a small smile. Red is. Swallowing hard, Red adjusted himself on the sofa. This entire conversation was uncomfortable as he was just hit with a ton of information. It seemed Misty had noticed. Listen, we know this is a lot, she said, crossing the room to kneel beside her son. We're not expecting you to just take it easily. Then what are you expecting from us? Red asked, turning to his mother. What are we supposed to do with these powers? There was a heavy silence. You want us to use our powers to take down plasma. Blue said, her voice shaky as she looked up, eyes tearful. You want us to kill N, don't you? Blue, Misty said, extending a hand to the girl, who turned away. No, she said, shoulders trembling. I don't want to kill anyone. I don't want anyone else to die. Blue, please, Bill begged, you need to calm down. Don't tell me what to do, she shot back, her face losing color quickly. What even are you to me, anyway? You're not my uncle, Grams isn't my grandmother and my parents were, oh my god. Leaning over, Blue clutched her chest, in an attempt to catch her breath. Panicked, Red reached out for her. Everyone move away, she's having a panic attack, Ash said, his voice even as he turned to his son. Take her to the bathroom. Nodding, Red took Blue's hand and gently led her up the stairs and towards the bathroom. As he opened the door for her, he looked down to see that Blue was covering her mouth. Quickly, he led her to the toilet, kicking the door closed with his foot as she leaned over the basin with a loud retching. Not knowing how else to help, Red held back her hair until she was done. When her body finally relaxed, Blue flushed the toilet with a shaky hand before resting her forehead against the cool porcelain rim. They sat together on the cold linoleum floor, her head on the toilet with his hands resting on her back. How lame, Blue finally said, her voice hoarse from vomiting. I'm one of the three most powerful humans on the planet, but I still succumb to panic attacks. Red laughed awkwardly, climbing on his knees and reaching over the counter for a bottle of mouthwash. Silently he offered the bottle to Blue, who quickly rinsed her mouth in hopes of vanquishing the leftover vomit between her teeth. The silence returned as Blue pressed her forehead to the cool surface of the toilet while Red stretched out his legs and leaned against the bathroom wall. Not wanting anyone to see Blue in such a state, he leaned across the floor to press in the lock on the doorknob. So, he began, twiddling his thumbs together and looking up towards the ceiling. Some origin story, huh? A clunk rang as Blue lightly began pounding her forehead against the rim of the toilet. I feel like such an idiot, she said softly, as she continued her pounding. When I was a kid, Bill took me in and told me he was my father's brother and I believed him. I never even thought that my real parents were. I get it, Red mumbled. Nobody ever bothered to tell me the real reason my dad left was to protect me. 
It would have saved me a good decade of daddy issues if they were just honest with me from the start. Right. Blue snapped, finally looking away from the toilet and at red. Why wait until now to tell us everything? All these secrets, the underground, Team Rocket, everything is just one big lie. Nobody was ever honest with us. Red swallowed hard. She had a point. I just feel so tired, Blue said as she buried her head in her hands. Is there even a way to be done with all this conduit crap without killing anyone? Is that even an option? I, I don't know. Buffed, she leaned her head back on the rim of the toilet. Of course you don't. Red stared at the floor as Blue stood up, running her hands through her hair. Sometime during the race up the stairs, her hair had fallen out of its messy bun, cascading over her shoulders. I really am nothing but a pain, aren't I, she groaned. All I ever do is bother everyone. That's not true, Blue, Red said, sitting up. No, it is, she smiled sadly at the boy. I've been nothing but a nuisance ever since I was born. If only I wasn't around, Green's mother would still be alive and your dad would never have left. Blue, stop it. If only I really had died when that lighthouse fell, huh? She laughed humorlessly. We would have saved a lot of trouble with the rockets. Blue. What? Don't pretend you don't dash. Before she could continue, Blue felt Red's hand wrap around her wrist and pull her down to the floor and towards him. The forward momentum caused them to smash their faces together in a clumsy kiss. Wrapping his arms around her waist, he pulled Blue closer towards him, hoping to somehow establish an understanding of feelings wordlessly. It seemed to have worked, and with a soft sigh, Blue tilted her head to the right and kissed him back tenderly. Remembering that breathing was important, Red pulled back, though not very far. Don't say that again, he said, breathing hot against her lips. Don't ever say anything like that again. Her eyes glazed, Blue nodded slowly before pushing herself against his lips again for another kiss. In the back of his mind, Red thanked Bill's fancy servants for keeping mouthwash in their bathroom. Tentatively, he opened his mouth. Against Blue's in an attempt to deepen the kiss. His actions were well rewarded as she mimicked his actions quickly. He darted his tongue into her mouth where it instantly met with hers and as the kiss intensified, so did their actions. Blue's hands had at some point traveled up his back and were tangled in his dark hair, lightly scratching and massaging his scalp, while Red's grip around her waist tightened possessively. We're in this together, he managed between kisses. I promise you. Red. Yeah. Stop talking, she said, smashing her lips back on his passionately. They breathed heavily through their noses, both not wanting to break away afraid they would never retrieve the moment again. However, Red could not help but let out a moan into the kiss when Blue's wandering fingers found a particularly sensitive spot at the base of his hairline. With the help of Red's arm, Blue repositioned herself into a more comfortable position, stretching a leg on either side of Red's hips, straddling him in the process. Red moaned louder, as Blue softly coaxed his lips with hers, and his pants began to tighten as he felt her on top of him. He shivered as her hands traveled down his sides, and gasped when they dipped into the waistband of his pants to pull at his shirt. Then there was a knock on the door. Jumping so quickly he nearly headbutted Blue, the teen practically threw the girl across the bathroom. Luckily, she was just as quick and scooted off his lap as if electrocuted. Breathless, they looked towards the door, both lips kiss swollen. Red. 
Blue, came Misty's voice from behind the wood. Is everything okay in there? Why yes. Blue said, her voice higher than usual. I'll be out in a second. All right, let me know if you need anything. The two teens stared at each other, frazzled and dumbfounded, as the sound of Misty's feet walking away echoed loudly through the bathroom. Yellow sighed, hands ringing nervously as beeps from the various medical equipment sang in a strange symphony around her. In the hallway of the Celadone City Hospital she was able to see everyone from nurses and doctors glancing at charts to chancies and blissies hopping around cheerfully. She must have been offered a glass of water a zillion times now, though she found it easier to deny the request from the human personal than the Pokemon. She was just in the middle of trying to hand back a glass of orange juice to a particularly pushy Blissey when Gary exited Green's room, closing the door behind him. Leader Oak, Yellow said, setting the juice aside to stand from her seat. Is. Um, is Green okay? Technically no, but he's stable and awake now, which is good, Gary said with a sigh that Yellow figured was relief. Doctor is going through his charts now, but it seems like he should pull through. Oh thank God, the blonde said, letting go of the breath she wasn't sure she was holding. He is going to need some intense physical therapy, though, the man said, crossing his arms. The doctors want to keep him in the city for it, but that's not really an option now. Looks like I'm going to have to call my sister. No need, little brother, came a voice which Yellow recognized as Daisy Oak. Turning to the source, she saw the tall, brunette smiling as she made her way through the hallway. In her time at the underground she had never seen both Oak siblings in the same city together, let alone the same space. Both tall with chestnut hair, Yellow could definitely see the family resemblance, especially as they both stared at each other with their mischievous Oak look. Surprised. Daisy greeted before sending a smile Yellow's way. More like annoyed, Gary said, his arms crossed as he glared at his older sister. What brings you to Celadone? Same reason you're here, she smiled, motioning to Green's room with a bop of her head. How's he doing? He's stable, but in rough shape, Gary answered as the doctor left Green's room, chart in hand. Ah, Dr. Oak, the doctor greeted when she saw Daisy, instantly turning away from Gary to shake her hand. I should have put the last names together, so, Green is your nephew. Yes. I'm Professor Oak's older sister, she said, hand on her hip. So, what are we dealing with here? Well, lucky for him that none of the wounds hit anything major. He does have severe muscle damage around his right shoulder, so as I said before I think physical therapy post-recovery is the next step. However, the doctor said, looking up from his chart towards Gary. I think you, Professor, should get yourself checked out. Did the wild Dodrio attack you as well? Yes, he was, Daisy answered cheerily, cutting off her brother and earning herself another glare. He was actually feeling a bit woozy. Do you think one of your nurses could check him out? Absolutely, the doctor smiled, grabbing Gary by the arm and dragging him down the hallway, kicking and screaming. Come on, professor. He also hasn't gotten a physical in over ten years. Daisy called down the hallway with a tiny wave before turning back to yellow with a smile. And how are you holding up? You look exhausted. Oh, I'm um, I'm all right, Yellow said as she wrung her hands together again. I didn't get hurt during the fight, Green ah, I mean oh oak, he. She stopped when she felt the woman's hand on her shoulder. Nervously, she glanced up to see Daisy's smiling face.
He's up now, she said, nodding towards the now open door. You should say hi to him. Looking away, Yellow nodded slowly as Daisy pulled back. I'm going to go make sure my brother doesn't kick anyone in the face, she said, waving her hand behind her head as she walked away. I'll bring you kids back some pudding. Finding herself alone in the hallway, she took a deep breath before walking through the doorway to Green's room. Nervously, she ran her hands through her hair, hung high in a ponytail. She tried to make as little noise as possible when she took a seat at his bedside. He still had oxygen on his face, though his emerald eyes opened slowly after she sat down. Yellow swallowed hard, scared that if she didn't she may spit up her heart on his bed. Oak, she greeted, unable to think of anything particularly intelligent to say. You're awake. Lazily, he turned towards her, his eyes heavy from the medication pumped through his system. He didn't say anything, the mask on his face making him look like some sort of scuba diver. Looking away slightly, she continued. I wanted to thank you, for being stupid enough to save my life, she said, her voice shaky as she felt her cheeks redden. It was a moronic move and you almost died for it, which was incredibly brave but still stupid. Really stupid. Don't ever do it again. From under the mask, she saw Green's chapped lips curl upwards. Her cheeks grew warmer. Anyway, you should be resting, she said hastily, motioning to get up from her seat when she felt a cold hand reach out and grab her own. Looking down, she was surprised that he had enough strength to hold her hand. Stay, he breathed, the mask making him sound as if he was talking from space. Sitting back slowly, Yellow tucked a stray strand of hair behind her ear, her other hand still held by the boy in the bed. Idiot, she grumbled, intertwining their fingers together as she turned away with a blush. Don't talk with that mask on. Daisy poked her head into the office to see her brother finishing up buttoning his shirt. Seeing her in the doorway, the man frowned as his sister took hold of the file the nurse left on the counter. Have I told you recently how obnoxious you are? Not recently, she replied, flipping through the records. So, besides my nephew nearly dying, did everything go according to plan? I guess so, he said, adjusting the buckle of his belt. I mean, from what I read in the paper this morning the building was in such bad shape that Jenny and her guys couldn't get in there until last night. Any bodies? Just Cassidy's. No Butch, she said, her green eyes seeking her brother's brown ones over the file. The man looked away, reaching for his shoes without an answer. Ah, I see. You were clever. Not here, Daisy, Gary warned and the woman's eyes went back to the file. I told them it was a wild dodrio that attacked Green. Is that the same story you're going to tell Ash when he asks about Butch? That's none of your business, he growled, as his sister rolled her eyes. He always did have a temper when he didn't want to talk about something. True, but he's still going to be pissed, Daisy said with a shrug. But I'm on your side, little brother. If I were you, I wouldn't have skinned that creep alive years ago. Will you be able to help Green with his recovery after this? Gary said in a desperate attempt to change the subject. After a moment of silence, Daisy nodded as he reached into his pockets for his poke gear. Good, thank you. I'll go check on the patient, Daisy said, tossing the files on the counter as she turned to leave. By the way, lay off the butter. A man pushing 40 should not have such high cholesterol levels. Gary frowned as she left, dialing the keys on his poke gear with more force than necessary. 
I'm only 37, he grumbled. Chapter 29, The Bell Tower Two old sages of Ecrutique City gathered at the base of Bell Tower. Looking upward, the bright shine of the summer moon reflected coolly on their faces. Is he still up there? One asked another. It's been a week. He said not to have anyone bother him. But a week. Leader Morty is looking for something. We must give him time. Hmm, the other man said, noncommittally. Maybe the gym leader had found permanent refuge on the top of the tower. Or he died. Either way, that meant more kimono girls for him. The other sage must have read his thoughts, as he was quickly granted a stern bop on the head by the man's staff. On the top of the tower, Morty sat on the tin roof of the structure. Eyes closed, he was deep in meditation as a group of ghastly operad from the air. Swirling around the blonde, the playful ghost types danced in the moonlight and eventually broke the man from his consternation. Looking up apathetically, Morty's eyes focused on the Pokémon. A few months earlier, he had received a call from the famous researcher Bill asking for his assistance in understanding more about the mysterious conduits. The project involved everything from digging up thousand-year-old folklore to traveling to Unova to go through archives in the Nakri Museum with Lenora and her husband Hawes. Though they were able to learn about the history of the foursome, the powers they possessed and their achievements, they were still missing one crucial bit of information. What brought them back now? Above him, the ghastly chuckled as they spun around his head, as if laughing at his own misfortune. Being a ghost-type trainer, Morty knew that the group was probably trying to badger him for attention. However, as they floated around each other, the Pokémon eventually formed a perfect alignment. And then it hit him. Jumping to his feet so quickly the ghastly dispersed, Morty reached into the back pocket to pull out his poke gear and dialed a familiar number. After two rings, it finally connected. Bill, he said, smiling when he heard the familiar voice on the other end of the call. Yes, it's me. I think I figured it out, are they with you now? Would you like something to drink? Getsis asked his guest politely, already making his way to the tiny bar in his office. Your usual vodka martini, perhaps. Don't try the host game with me, Getsis, Lance said, his face stern as Getsis shrugged and poured himself a glass instead. I'm here about Celadon City. What the hell were your people thinking? Technically the rockets were never really my people, the older man said between sips of his drink. But I can see why that should concern you. The game corner was burned to the ground. A minor causality. Rocket Enterprise is destroyed. Better off for it, Getsis shrugged. Capitalism is such a faulty economic theory, anyway. I've allowed you to get away with murder. Both figuratively and literally, the old man winked with a laugh, raising his glass up to cheer the furious champion. Lance, my boy, you are missing the bigger picture here. Which is what exactly? Lance growled, arms crossing over his chest. Please enlighten me. We discovered the last conduit, Getsis grinned, still holding his glass in the air like he was confused as to why his guest refused to celebrate. We found them. Silence swept the room like a wave, the only sound coming from Getsis finishing off his drink. He returned the glass to his end table neatly, turning back to the dragon trainer who was still speechless. Exciting, yes. Do you? Lance said, his voice tiny, more than a whisper but smaller than his usual tone. Do you have them here? Here? Together. 
Getsis gasped as he mocked the surprise. Oh, my dear boy, you can't just have two conduits under one roof. Are you mad? There was a knock at the door and both men turned to see and slowly enter the study. Sorry to interrupt, the teen said, though his features showed no signs of remorse. Sage Ryoku said you needed to speak with me. Ah, perfect timing, my son, Getsis said, grinning as he beckoned the boy over with his hand. Come here and tell Champion Lance how beneficial it is that the conduits stay separated. All three of them. N questioned, ignoring the look his father sent him from across the room. Three. Lance echoed, looking aghast as he turned to Getsis. You said there were only two. A small miscalculation. It's an entire extra person. One of the conduits who we thought we killed is, in fact, still alive. She is a wonderful girl from Cerulean City who is surely my conduit partner, and answered, his voice sounding bored as he continued to avoid his father's look. Alongside her is a nuisance boy, though he has no partner and his powers are nothing compared to my own. Myself included means that all three conduits are currently residing in your region. Getsis, Lance managed between gritted teeth and the old man glared at his son, annoyed. Natural Harmonia Gropius, Getsis hissed at his son, who looked even less interested. Ensure our guest there is nothing to worry about. Of course, N answered, turning to the champion. Champion, unless you are worried about how myself, my partner and a third rogue conduit will be interacting with your region, then you have nothing to fear. Stunned Getsis stared at N, who simply sighed loudly. The fact that Lance's face was turning a deeper shade of red was less than interesting. If that is all, may I be excused? Lance roared in fury, turning to Getsis so quickly his cape flew behind him like flames on the tail of a rapidash. Taking the front of the older man's cloak into his fists, he pulled Getsis towards his face. You have until the end of the month to figure this out, he hissed, eyes mad with rage. Either tame the conduits or I will tame you. Am I clear? As if borrowing his son's apathetic look, Getsis replied, Crystal. A few heavy seconds passed before Lance released his grip on the green-haired man, turning away and stomping through the study without another word. Moving out of his way, and watched as the champion slammed the heavy door behind him. Glancing over his shoulder, and sighed as he looked towards his father. May I be excused A-U-G-H? Falling to the floor, and held onto his sides as he felt strong electrical waves run through him. Curling into a ball, he writhed in pain though was thankful he didn't bring any of his Pokémon to this meeting. Above him, he heard the loud footsteps of his father, holding the sphere that was sending the electrical current through his body. I won't forget that, son, Getsis growled as he slowly made his way across the room. Just like I never forgot how much you hate electricity. N's whimpering escalated into full-fledged screams as another bolt shot through his body. Above him, Getsis caught the boy's chin under his boot, tilting the teen's pale face and green eyes to meet their match. Getsis would be lying if he said he didn't enjoy this. You think you're hot shit now that you found her, he hissed between gritted teeth. N didn't reply, figuring the question was rhetorical. He assumed correctly as Getsis continued. Bring her to me. But I-A-U-G-H-H. Did that sound like a request? No. It was an order, Getsis said, turning away from the boy as he made his way to his desk to call one of the sages to collect N from the door. He didn't have time to wait for him to recover. 
and you should lose that smart mouth of yours before I get rid of it myself. Being a conduit meant Red could do a lot of cool things, like shoot lightning from his fingers and have high-level Pokemon obey him in battle. It also meant a lot of really uncool things, like being poked and prodded by Bill so much that his entire body was so sore that even his fingernails hurt. His fingernails. It also meant that he hadn't been able to get any alone time with Blue to talk about what happened in the bathroom. Red was growing tired of this constant one step forward nine steps back that had been happening ever since Pewter City. Blue had to have liked him back, she wouldn't have kissed him twice if that wasn't the case, right? He still wasn't sure, but he knew having Blue dodge him whenever she had the chance was not the way to figure it out. It had been only two days since the incident, but Red knew before any meals or daily bill time it was impossible to catch her. So, he figured camping in front of her bedroom door in the early hours of the morning was his only option. Yawning, he leaned his chin against the hand that rested on his knee. He woke up early just to catch her, Blue better appreciate it. Red, he heard his mother call from down the stairs and he ignored her. He didn't feel like getting dragged into another one of Bill's weird research parties, and Blue still hadn't left her room. Red. Are you up? He's up, he heard Blue's voice and instantly he spun around to see the brunette had opened her door and was currently leaning against the doorframe looking amused. Looking down she whispered, I know what you're doing. Then why are you avoiding me? Red hissed back, jumping to his feet. Because I dash. Red. Misty called again and the teenager nearly ripped his hair out in frustration. Get down here. I'm coming. Red barked back, turning to the girl behind him. Listen, we need to dash. I know, she said, though by the look in her eyes Red could tell she was uncomfortable. Let's go before your mom comes up here and drags us down. Running a hand through his hair, he nodded and turned to make his way downstairs. As he neared the bottom of the steps, Red heard a familiar squeak as Pika jumped from the floor to climb his leg and up to his shoulder. Smiling, he scratched the tiny electric type under the chin as he turned to his mother. Next to her stood four women, two of which he recognized as Janine from the internment building and the gym leader Erica. Hello again, Red, Janine said with a bow. It's good to see you again. Yeah, ditto, Red greeted, not sure if he was supposed to bow as well. I'm happy you were able to get out of the rocket building in one piece. I wouldn't have been able to if it weren't for your Pokemon, the gym leader said as she reached onto her belt and handed the team two familiar balls. Your Blastoise is especially well cared for and obedient, you should be very proud. Thanks, he smiled, feeling better that he had his entire team back on his belt. Turning to the other two women, Red felt a strange sense of deja vu as he looked at the short pink-haired woman and tall violet-haired women. Oh, you must be the gym leaders Whitney and Sabrina. Blue gasped and the pink-haired woman seemed more than ecstatic to be recognized. Ah. Does that mean you're the ones who were able to free my sabzi bear from that nasty underground jail? She cooed as she engulfed Blue in an overbearing hug. Oh my gosh, I owe you guys, like, a zillion gym badges. That's not how it works, Whitney, Misty said, seemingly holding back her annoyance with a good-natured smile. Next to her, Sabrina's mood seemed similar to that of a purloin just hosed with a water gun attack. Red wasn't sure if that was due to anything he did, or if she just really hated the nickname, Sabzi Bear. Whitney, let the girl go, Sabrina said, her voice even. 
She is a conduit and has the potential to blow you and this entire mansion to pieces. Aw, but Sabsy she's just so cute, Whitney cooed, before sending a devilish look over her shoulder. Unless you're uncomfortable with me being so close to other girls. Hmm. Quickly growing flustered, Sabrina turned away from Whitney with a short, TSK, allowing the pink-haired girl to go back to pinching Blue's cheeks and asking. What kind of shampoo she used? Feeling a hand on his shoulder, Red turned to see the serene, smiling face of Erica. We haven't been formally introduced, but I am Erica, the Celadone City gym leader, she said, her voice as soothing as a spring breeze. Um, hi, Red said eloquently, extending his hand for a clumsy handshake with the woman. Since when did he pick up Green's awkwardness? I'm, uh, Red. It's a pleasure to meet you, she said, her face still tranquil. I wanted to come and personally thank you and your friends for saving me at the game corner. Though my relationship with the underground has never been ideal, I cannot express my gratitude enough. No problem, Red said as Piku squeaked in agreement on his shoulder. I'm happy we were able to help. Oh, is Ash here? she asked, turning to Misty. It has been a while since I've seen him. He left this morning with Bill to meet with Morty in Ecritique City, Misty explained. Oh, Erica said, as if Misty had just told her that she was never allowed to eat ice cream again for the rest of her life. Will you be able to pass him my gratitude, Misty? Of course, the redhead said with a smile. Don't even worry about it, Erica. Thank you, she said, turning again to Red. Before I forget, Red, there is something I wanted to give to you. Red watched as Erica reached into her kimono, pulling out a leaf stone from her sleeve. Smiling, she handed the stone to Red, who stared at her as if she had grown a second head. Janine informed me that your gloom was one of the Pokémon who kept her safe. I wasn't sure if you had any plans of evolving it in the future, but... No, that's fine, Red said, nodding. Thank you. The Celadon leader tilted her head to the side with a small giggle. Instantly, Red felt a swift kick to his ankle. Frowning he looked to see that it was blue, glaring at him through Whitney's embrace. He couldn't help but laugh. Maybe there was some hope after all. Not that I don't like meeting new people, Blue said, managing to break away from Whitney's grasp long enough to speak. But why are a third of Kanto's gym leaders here? Because, Blue, Misty said with a wink. We're going to unlock your full potential. Full, potential, the teens echoed in unison. Yup. Whitney grinned, hands on her hips. Since you guys are both conduits, you take your powers from Pokemon. Who better than to understand what your powers are or what you can do than the region's top Pokemon trainers? Red tilted his head in acknowledgement, that did make some sense. Due to the high amount of dangerous attacks on gym leaders in the regions, the Pokemon League has suspended any gym battles, Janine explained. That gives us time to stay and train with you until you have a better understanding of your powers and their capabilities. And it's not like space appears to be an issue, Sabrina added. Red exchanged looks with Blue, feeling his stomach flip. On one side, Red understood just how upset this whole situation had made Blue. Part of him wondered how she would be able to handle the idea of maybe having to use her abilities for an ultimate end. On the other, he really couldn't think of any other option in figuring out more about their powers. So, what I say? Misty said, hands on her hips. 
are you guys up for some intense training? Sure, I mean, it was between that and working on my tan, Blue said, turning away from Red's confused face with a smile. When do we start? Now, Sabrina answered, crossing her arms looking stern. You'll be going to the White Room. Chapter 30, The White Room Wait, Ash said, his eyes narrowing as he looked at the chalkboard for what seemed like the hundredth time. Can you say that again, but in words that a normal person can understand? Bill sighed loudly as Morty turned to Lenora, giving her his usual deadpan look. Even Pikachu seemed peeved at his trainer's density. Okay, let's try this one more time, Lenora said with a slight edge to her voice as she pointed to the chalkboard. In two months, the solar system will undergo a massive syzygy. Which is when at least three planets in a gravitational system align, Bill added, turning to Ash. Just um, so you know. Yeah, I got that part, Ash said, crossing his arms and leaning back in his chair. So what does this synergy dash? Syzygy, Lenora corrected. Gesundheit, Ash said, not missing a beat as he continued. What does this have to do with the conduits appearing? Well, we already know that the conduits appear when there's a natural shift, like what happened with the great tsunami of the Kanto Sea. Lenora continued. The problem was, during all our research we were looking for natural shifts that were happening on this planet and we never looked bigger. But you did. We did. Once I thought about the syzygy, all it took was a call to Lenora to confirm its occurrence, Morty said, pointing to the board. In two months, every planet in our solar system will be aligned causing a gravitational shift unlike anything we've ever seen before. So, is this a bad thing? Well, that depends, right? Bill said, turning to Lenora. I know researchers and scientists around the world have different theories on what this phenomenon is going to accomplish, but I think for our purposes we need to think about how this is going to affect Pokémon. And considering Plasma is hustling like hell to snatch them up, Lenora said. I have a feeling it's going to have a huge impact. What about the balance? Ash asked, looking at Lenora and Morty. Since Max is gone, we only have Red, Blue and that Plasma kid. Someone doesn't have a match. I wouldn't be surprised if Plasma was hoping for that, Morty said, arms crossed. If only their guy has a match, they can just knock off the extra and use the syzygy to take total control. If I had to make an educated guess, I'd say the extra would be red, Bill said as he turned to Ash. Now that the Meowth is out of the bag, so to say, they know that Blue is alive. But they don't know where she is, so that gives us time. Ash added, his eyes hard. We just need to make sure Red and Blue can control their powers and work together so during the Wachama call it they can maintain order. Will that work, though? Lenora asked, head tilted to the side. I mean, they are teenagers. Sometimes they can be, you know, fussy. Nah, I think they'll be fine, Ash said with his usual smile. I mean, they seem to get along pretty well. What can go wrong? Can you not lurk around my room like a creepy stalker? Blue called, opening her door a crack to throw a shoe out that narrowly missed Red's head. Thanks. Can you not pretend that this is totally okay and you didn't have an anxiety attack about being a conduit? Red answered, Pika jumping from his shoulder to chase the shoe. Thanks. Look, if this is about the bathroom thing Dash, Blue said as she exited her room in her activewear. Instantly, she was stopped by Red's arm blocking the hallway. 
Yes, it is about the bathroom thing, he said, his voice low. It's about everything. We need to talk about that, about you and about us. Blue ran her hands through her hair, groaning loudly. Red knew what she was trying to do, and he wasn't falling for it. He stood still, his arm still blocking the hall. Unless Sabrina grew so impatient she physically pulled Red down the stairs, Blue wasn't going anywhere. Red, I really don't want to talk about this right now, she groaned, staring up at him with blue eyes. Can we just, take a rain check? Not really, Red said, his stare not leaving her. Because if we're going to work together we need to trust each other. I do trust you. Then talk to me. Blue groaned again and tried to physically move Red's arm out of the way, but to no avail. When she gave up on trying to move his arm, she instead tried to push him over, her socks sliding backwards against the wooden floor. It was really cute and he would have laughed if it wasn't such a serious situation. Come on, Sabrina's going to get mad, she huffed, hands pressed against Red's chest. Let's g-dash. I like you, he said, finally. His dark eyes set on her as she froze, hands still pressed against him. I like you a lot, Blue. Red. I know you think this is awkward and you're freaking out, he said, taking her hands in his, intertwining their fingers. But I want to be with you. Silence. Blue swallowed hard, blushing as she turned away. At the end of the stairs, they heard Whitney call their names. Red sighed, about to release Blue's hands to make his way downstairs when she felt her grip tighten. Startled, he looked down to see that she had turned back to him, her eyes sparkling. I do too, she said, her voice tiny. But, I don't know if we can. Whitney's calls continued and they both let go. Red waited as Blue slipped on her sneakers before following the other down the stairs. On the sofa, Misty, Janine, and Erica were chatting over tea while Whitney stood at the foot of the stairs, arms crossed and pouting. Geez, what took you guys so long, the pink-haired woman groaned, taking both teens by the arms to drag them towards the door. Let's go, Sabzi is waiting. Good luck, honey. Misty called with a small wave. As he was pulled, Red felt tiny paws climb up his back before settling on his shoulder. Turning slightly, he felt a little better when he saw Piku, squeaking happily with its tail in the air. Come on, Sabzi is going to be so miffed. Whitney said over her shoulder as they exited the house. She seems like the type that's always miffed, Red said in an attempt to mask how upset he felt with Snark. He was good at that. Sabzi. Oh no, she's actually really sweet, Whitney said, smiling as they neared Sabrina meditating on the sand. She just puts the facade up, but it doesn't really work. You'll see she's actually really caring. Whitney. Sabrina growled, obviously not as deep in thought as she appeared. Laughing, Whitney winked before letting go of the teens and running to Sabrina's side. Rising to her feet, Red felt that the woman seemed a bit more intimidating, as if that was possible, as the waves of the beach crashed behind her. So. Blue said slowly, rocking back and forth on the heels of her sneakers. When are we going to the white room? Ha! Huh. Whitney laughed, nudging Sabrina in the ribs in jest. They think it's a place. Wait, it's not. Red questioned, eyebrows raised. Nope, Whitney said, balancing on one foot as she pressed her hands together in front of her. It is a state of being. 
I'm not following, Blue said, her eyes shifting to Sabrina who was pulling two poke balls from her belt. With a flick of her wrists, two alakazams appeared. You will soon, Sabrina said, unable to hide her smirk. With a snap of her fingers, both Pokemon stood straight, mumbling something under their breaths before thrusting their hands forward towards the teens. After a quick flash of light, both teens feel backwards into the soft sand, unconscious. Flying from Red's shoulder, Piku tumbled forward and was caught easily by Whitney. Confused, the tiny electric type looked around, baffled by the fact that its trainer was currently passed out in the sand. Oh, perhaps I should have been a bit easier on them, Sabrina said, turning to the pink-haired girl who was petting Piku. I forgot that Pokemon attacks have a stronger effect on them. They'll be fine, Whitney said, swatting the air as if she were physically swiping the psychic's concerns away. But you should get in there and lead, M. Right, Sabrina said, lowering herself back on the sand. She looked up at Whitney, cheeks slightly flushed. You will, be here when I awake, right? Whitney couldn't help but laugh, leaning over to press a chaste kiss on the other woman's cheek, of course, I promised you I'd never leave you again, didn't I? Turning away slightly, Sabrina nodded before closing her eyes. Within seconds, her body glowed a light violet as she lifted off and floated above the sands. Flopping onto the ground with Pika sitting comfortably in her lap, Whitney flipped open her poke gear to play a game as Sabrina's alakazams mumbled incoherently. Red gasped as he sat up quickly, feeling as if he was just pushed into the main pool of his mother's gym. Breathing heavily, he patted down his body to make sure that everything was still in one piece. Motioning to run his hand through his hair, he came in contact with a hat. Curiously, he pulled it off his head to see that it was the same one he had left in Celadone City when Green made him change for the ball. Interesting. Climbing to his feet, he dusted his jeans off as he looked around to see the large expanse of nothingness surrounding him. Well, it is a white room, he said to himself and jumped when he suddenly heard his voice echo, seemingly bouncing off the ether. White room. White room. White. White. Room. Room. Okay, that was going to get old fast. Not needing to hear his voice echo, Red figured the best means of action was to just keep his thoughts to himself. His mother always said it was rude to talk to yourself. Rude. 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 Ugh, seriously. Red groaned. Mind reading, too. Nothing is a secret in the white room, came a voice of what sounded like a little girl. Turning around, Red was face to face with a small doll in a white dress, white hat, and holding what looked like a tiny plushie of a mill tank. A.C.K., he shrieked, freaked out by the doll as he took ten steps backwards. What the hell? Welcome to the white room, the doll said as it floated in the air. The deepest part of your psyche. Why is a creepy doll in the deepest part of my psyche? My name is Rena and I am your guide, sent by Sabrina. That doesn't surprise me, actually. Red said, slowly turning around while still keeping an eye on the doll. But I feel like something's missing. Suddenly, a loud yell echoed through the space and Red blinked as a tiny speck grew larger as it hurried towards him. Quickly, he recognized the figure as Blue, wearing the same outfit her grandmother had given her at the start of their journey. Her eyes were closed tight as she barreled forward, colliding directly with Red and sending them both tumbling into the whiteness. Oh! Blue said, lifting her head to see that she was nose-to-nose -nose with Red, 
who was currently blushing. Found you. Why are you in the deepest part of my psyche, he asked, growing annoyed. Because she takes up a large part of your thoughts, Rena explained, floating by the teens. Ah, do I really, Red? Blue smiled, as Red's blush deepened. And no. Lies. 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 Shut up. Red yelled at, well, he wasn't even sure what he was yelling at. The room. Blue. That creepy doll thing. Feeling exhausted, and slightly embarrassed, he suddenly had an intense desire to crawl back to bed. Suddenly, Rena appeared again, looking gleeful. Is this the real Blue, he asked, sending an annoyed look at the doll while pointing at the other teen who pouted. Or some manifestation of my mind, or whatever. Since you both are conduits, your psyches were easy to bridge together, Rena explained, floating lazily. The white room is everywhere, not just one person's psyche. Yeah, so I am real, jerk, Blue frowned, making a biting motion towards his finger that he quickly retracted. So quit pointing at me. He glared at the brunette who was still in his lap, he was feeling weird that the girl who just rejected him minutes earlier was suddenly so touchy. Now we shall begin the process of connecting both your psyches together, Rena announced with a giggle. Wait, what? Red sputtered, but it was too late as the doll vanished, her giggles echoing the room. The white area around them faded away as he felt the ground beneath him give, sending him falling. Grabbing blue to his chest, they tumbled backwards before splashing into some sort of ocean-like space. He felt Blue's arms wrap around his neck as they floated, and he held his breath as he looked down at the girl. Blinking, she opened her mouth and noticed that she could breathe. You don't need to hold your breath here, she said, turning to him so their noses were nearly touching. We can breathe for some reason. Red exhaled and saw that she was right, though they floated through the blue abyss as if it were water. Around them, large water-type Pokémon like Whalmer, Wailerd and Milotic swam past. Blue's hair floated around her like some dark auburn halo and Red bit his bottom lip to keep himself from kissing her. He watched as her eyes rolled upward and his own followed, seeing bright rays of light shining down from the surface. She floated back slightly, arms untangling themselves from his neck, as she floated on her own inches away from him. Taking her hand, since he was always the stronger swimmer, not because he missed her touch or anything, he tugged her slightly as he led her towards the surface. Breaking through, the first thing they noticed was the familiar surroundings. They were in the Cerulean City gym. Wow, Blue said, pulling her hand away from Red's as she lifted herself out of the pool and onto the sidelines. Not a lick of water stuck to her, not even her. Hair. It's like the rocket attack never happened. Everything is here like nothing happened. Makes sense, it's not like we're at the actual gym. Right. They sat at the edge of the pool in silence, looking around the space where so many battles were fought for gym badges by his mother and aquatic shows were performed by his aunts. Pulling a leg to chest, Red rested his chin on his knee in thought. He felt Blue tug on his hat and he shifted his gaze to the girl, who looked playful. I see you spawned your hat back, she smiled. That's so typical of you. I missed it, he shrugged. You know my dad gave it to me before he left, right? I didn't know you were calling him, dad, again. He shrugged again, things seem easier here. Yeah, she said, her voice trailing off. They do. They sat in comfortable silence for a bit, something Red forgot they could do.
As usual, it was Blue who broke the quiet. About what I said before, she said, looking down at the pool. Just because I said I didn't know if we could, doesn't mean I don't want to. Oh, he managed, eloquently. Even in this bizarre world, he was terrible with these kinds of conversations. Yes, she said, laughing slightly as she leaned over the pool to trace shapes in the water. He recognized one as a heart. How silly. I'm just scared. My entire life I've had people taken from me and I never felt like I had a real family. Even the family I thought I had wasn't my real family in the end, I'm always in emotional limbo when it comes to people. I don't know if I can have another thing taken away from me. She looked up at Red, her blue eyes shining brightly next to the pool. He felt the familiar grip of thorns around his heart, tightening with every word that passed her lips. Every blink of her eyelashes. He wondered if the thorns would split it in half. I think that's bullshit, he said, simply and he saw the shock run across Blue's face. You, what? I think it's bullshit, he repeated, staring down at his hands. When we started this journey I thought I was just going to win a few badges and try my shot at the Pokemon League. But that's not what happened at all, my home was destroyed, my dad re-entered my life, we took down a major crime syndicate, I found out I was a conduit, I've had nothing but things taken away and thrown back at me since we started this. He turned to her, taking hold of her hand again. But during this whole thing, you've always been there with me. Like when we were kids, you were always there pushing me forward, making me better, challenging me. I don't know if you awoke it inside me at the Pewter Museum or if it was always lingering under the surface, but what I feel for you is more than just an intense friendship, it's more. Even if it's intensified by us both being conduits, it's something I wouldn't allow to be taken away. That's so like you, Blue said softly, her face red. Always finding a way around things. Maybe, but I can tell you one thing for sure, he said, smiling slightly as he reached out and took a strand of her hair in his hand, letting it fall between his fingers. Unlike Green, I won't be able to just fall back into being your friend after all this. I'm way more stubborn and selfish than he is. You can say that again, she smiled, turning to climb back into his lap, her arms wrapped around his neck. So, are you sure about this? Yes, he said, arms around her waist as he smiled what felt like the first true smile of his entire life. Are you? Yes, she said, her eyes brimming with tears. Are you actually crying, he teased, reaching out to wipe away a few with the pad of his thumb. S shut up. You really are such a crybaby sometimes, he said between his smiles. Is that how you're going to try to save N? H how did you know, she gasped. Lucky guess, he sighed, resting his hands behind him so he was leaning backwards. I figured there was a reason you were suddenly so gung-ho about training with everyone. Also, I know you weren't exactly comfortable with the idea of killing anyone. She nodded slowly, are you, mad at me? No, he said, shaking his head. I mean, I would like to smash the guy's face in for what he did to Green, but to be honest I don't think I have it in me to actually kill another person. Even as a conduit, I don't think I can actually do that. I just have a feeling there's something more to him than what we're seeing, she said, looking slightly bashful. At the rocket building, when I was hit with Jigglypuff's attack I wasn't unconscious. It was weird, it was like I was super conscious and that I could feel every emotion and thought going through your head and N's head, it was a lot like what happened to me when Riola used Aura share on us, do you remember? 
Red nodded, though his experience was slightly different. The only thing he could feel was the Pokemon's energy flow through him like he was some power strip. The memories shared with him were all through Riolu, nothing from his part. Perhaps that's what made him and Blue different conduits, while he was able to conduct powers through him like a current, she was able to convene them like a battery. He felt so scared and desperate during that fight, she continued. Like he had no choice, I know this sounds like I'm making an excuse for him, but I'm not. I'm as upset about Green as anyone, but part of me can't just ignore the fact that maybe ends just as looped into the sick world just as we are in. And you don't want to punish him if that's the case. Red finished and she nodded, looking up at him. I'm sorry I didn't tell you sooner, she said, leaning forward towards him. I just didn't know how to say it without everyone thinking that I couldn't handle being a conduit. I just don't want anyone else to get hurt. Red understood, though he wasn't sure if he agreed with Blue's sentiments. However, he trusted her judgment, she often made the best calls when she followed her heart. 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 Looking up at the echo, both teens shared a look of annoyance. That really is annoying, Blue said, wrinkling her nose. I'm over this place. Yeah, me too, he said, leaning forward. So, how do we get out of here? Well, our creepy guide said we have to connect both our psyches together, she answered, faking thought. How do you think we do that? I have an idea. He said, slowly leaning forward to close the gap between them. Pervert. 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 God, he groaned as Blue laughed joyously in front of him at her own trick. You're so annoying. Of course, she laughed, pushing up the brim of his hat as she leaned forward so their foreheads were touching. Okay, now kiss me for real. With a playful grin he obliged, closing the gap between them as a flash of white light overtook them both. Chapter 31, Red's Hat Gary sighed loudly as he pressed the payphone receiver between his ear and his shoulder. Leaning against the side of the hospital's phone booth, he stared at the scratching of C plus L forever in the wall. So, you're saying we got two months? Seems so, came Ash's voice from the other end of the call. He knew the man's poke gear was crap as he sounded as if he was talking from space and not just Ecrutique City. I just got off the phone with Misty, she said they're going to train Red and Blue. They who? Kanto's leaders, there was a pause. Erica was there. Gary couldn't hold back his laughter, are you kidding me? After all the crap we pulled over the years to get her on board, now she wants to help us. I don't think it was about that. Ash said, his voice taking a different tone. She, never mind. What? It's nothing, Ash said and Gary knew his best friend well enough to know that it was anything but nothing. But he didn't press it, not yet, anyway. How's Green doing? Is he feeling better? He's getting there. He's mobile now and just finished his morning physical therapy session with Daisy. That's great. Yeah, we're going to try to get him discharged by the end of the week, Gary continued, twirling the phone's cord around his index finger mindlessly. His shoulder is still in bad shape, but the rest of his injuries are healing well. I think getting him back with everyone will help with his recovery. Daisy said the ocean air will help too, or something. Wait, is Daisy's coming, too? Yeah, she's going to help Green with his physical therapy, Gary paused, hearing Ash groan. What now? 
and don't say anything. Ugh, Sabrina's at Bill's place, he groaned. Whitney and her are training red and blue as we speak. Ha! Huh. Gary cackled as Ash's groans grew louder. That's amazing. No it's not, and you know it, he whined. Remember the last time they were in the same room together Sabrina nearly sent all of Pallet Town into a coma, he laughed. Oh man, I dunno what the hell kind of breakup those two had, but I can't say that any of my exes hate me that much. Gary. Make sure Daisy behaves herself. You know my sister, Ashy boy, Gary said, smiling viciously. Nobody can make her do anything. Another groaned and the other man could hardly keep his laughter to himself. Anyway, I gotta go, Gary said, finger on the trigger of the phone. I'll call Misty when we're heading over. Smell you later. After Ash's own goodbye, Gary slammed the receiver of the phone back on its dock with a frown. While the idea of his sister and her ex-girlfriend fighting to the death was, indeed, hilarious, he couldn't push away how distant Ash had been regarding Erica. It was obvious what that nothing was about, its name was Butch. Or rather, the lack of Butch's body in the rocket rubble. Shaking his head, Gary pushed past the sliding door of the payphone and made his way back down the hospital's hallway. He didn't feel bad at all about what he did, and honestly if little Miss Greenpeace wanted to berate him about it, so be it. He rounded a corner to Green's room, knocking once before he was greeted with what sounded like his son and sister fighting. Ow. I said don't move. I didn't move, I yelped. Green pouted, turning to see Gary in the doorway. Oh, hey, Dad. Having fun. Gary smiled, ruffling his son's hair as he took a seat in the corner of the room. Your son has the lowest pain threshold I've ever encountered, Daisy groaned, taking a step back with her fingers on the bridge of her nose to combat the headache forming between her eyes. Green stood with his back to her, wearing sweatpants and no shirt. Still heavily bandaged and pale, the teenager looked more uncomfortable than pained as he continued his shoulder exercises. On his hospital bed, Yellow sat cross-legged, sipping Green's extra mini-carton of chocolate milk. Gary wondered if his son had told the girl if she could have it. Well excuse me for getting stabbed, the teen said, exasperatedly. You are not excused, Yellow said simply, taking another sip of chocolate milk. Green sent her a look that read and you are not helping. You're such a baby, Daisy sighed, leaning her hand on her hip. This really hurts, though, Green whined. And aren't you a doctor? Shouldn't you be more compassionate? Buffed, please, she said, throwing a piece of hair over her shoulder as she crossed her arms over her chest. Anyway, the goal of shoulder rehabilitation in this stage is to allow the tissues to heal and to prevent muscle wasting. If it's really hurting you that much, maybe we can do something else. Like what? Electrotherapy, Daisy said, smiling wickedly and suddenly Green was more than ready to get back to his acute exercises. When Ash and Bill landed in front of the villa that night, the first thing he noticed was Blue's Charizard sitting out front. As Bill called back his Firo and headed inside, Ash watched as the girl's Charizard made its way to his own. Smiling at the fire type, the dark-haired man stroked the Pokémon's nose. You're a little thing, aren't ya? He cooed and noticed the Pokémon stiffen. Oh, sorry, you probably don't like being called that, huh? With a grunt, Blue's Charizard turned to Ash's own, the contrast in their size, coloring and scars reminded the man just how much older his Pokémon had grown in their time together.
looking at Pikachu sleeping on his shoulder, the white fur that surrounded its muzzle and the lighter color of its hair, he remembered just how quickly age had caught up to them all. He walked through the door after Bill to see the researcher looking distressed. What's up, he asked, and the other man sighed, pointing to the main area of the floor. Walking through the short hall, Ash saw his wife sitting on the sofa next to their son, his thin frame curled over the bucket as he heaved. On the rug below them, Blue sat cross-legged, Jigglypuff in her lap. Janine was training us with poison types tonight, she explained as Ash slowly made his way to the scene. Turns out I'm not affected by status-changing attacks, but Red is really sensitive to them. She used a poison powder, Misty explained with a tiny smile, rubbing Red's back as the teen heaved again into the bucket. We gave him an antidote, but it looks like he's just going to have to power through it. Red pulled back, resting his chin on the edge of the bucket. Piku scurried from its trainer's side to Ash's, looking up at Pikachu with tiny, unblinking eyes. Pikachu's tail twitched, seemingly annoyed. Hey! Ash scolded, shaking his shoulder slightly. Be nice. Blue stood to her feet, walking around to stand in front of Pikachu with a smile before scratching the Pokemon behind the ears. Ash could tell by the happy noises Pikachu made that the electric type was winning. Feeling jealous, Piku climbed up Blue's pant leg and up to her shoulder, squeaking for attention. She laughed, scratching him behind the ear as well. I'll get Red some water, she said, turning on the heel of her socks. Do you guys want anything? Ash and Misty shook their heads as the girl exited the room with Jigglypuff at her side. Behind her, Piku turned around to meet eyes with Pikachu, looking combative. Pikachu's cheeks tingled, sparking slightly. Red groaned, dipping his head into the bucket as Misty ran her fingers through his hair. I'm gonna die, his voice echoed inside the bucket. No, you won't, Misty cooed, lovingly. It'll be over soon. They sat in silence for a bit, and eventually Ash stood up. In the corner of her eye, Misty watched as her husband exited the room, an uncomfortable air around him. She turned back to her son with a sigh. Later that night, Bill and Ash gathered everyone around, Misty, Blue, Red, Blaine, Janine, Sabrina and Whitney, to explain their situation. After Bill corrected Ash's pronunciation of Syzygy several times, it seemed that a timeline was set. In two months, Bill said, circling a date on his calendar. We'll have the autumn equinox, which is when the Syzygy will commence. Giotto seems to be the best location to station ourselves, preferably somewhere high. The Bell Tower. Whitney offered. Its strong spiritual power can be helpful, also, it's where Ho-Oh is said to perch. Seems smart, Ash nodded, turning to blue and a less sickly-looking red. What do you guys think? Jada works, blue said, nodding with red. We can use the magnet train to get to Goldenrod. And what about plasma? Sabrina asked, looking concerned. Even if we manage to stay hidden until then, they will be sure to look for us during the syzygy. We'll have half the region's gym leaders here by then, Blaine offered with a smile. Our number one priority is to get these two over the border and into Jado. Our Pokédexes are still hacked from yellow, Red added. As long as we keep a low profile, travel shouldn't be an issue. Hacked Pokédexes. Janine said with a shake of her head. The honor of the Pokemon League is nothing but a mere memory. The room faded into silence, nobody really knowing a proper way to respond. 
Ash hung his hat on the chair in the bedroom. Bill's housekeeper assigned him and Misty to sleep in during their stay at the villa. The room was spacious and included an attached master bathroom and more closet space than either of them knew what to do with, all things considered. Sitting on the bed, he heard from the door at the other side of the room that Misty was in the shower. Pikachu jumped from his shoulder to curl up into the tiny pillow bed on the floor, falling to sleep almost instantly. He couldn't help but feel envious. He heard the squeak of the faucet and a few minutes later Misty emerged from the steamy room, wrapped in a bath robe as she towel-dried her red hair. Seeing him on the bed, she smiled as she made her way towards him, climbing into his lap. He felt himself melt as the warmth of her hot skin touched his calloused hands. You should get some sleep, she whispered in his ear, arms wrapped around his neck. You have to be up early tomorrow. Not that early, he leaned back, slowly. The robe was big on her, sliding off her shoulder to reveal smooth skin and collarbone. We can stay up a little later and, catch up. His lips tickled her neck, leaving a trail of light kisses in their wake. But you'll never catch any fish that way. Wait, fish. Ash squeaked, pulling back as his wife nodded. She leaned across him to reach towards the bed stand, pulling tiny objects from the drawer. When she reeled back he saw two familiar tiny lures, the ones shaped in her likeness. Don't think I didn't notice how awkward you and Red are with each other, she said, looking proud of herself. What better way for a father and son to make up over a decade of absence than fishing, right? Before Ash knew what was happening, his wife had pushed the tiny lures into his hand, kissing him on the nose before scurrying to her side of the bed. You should rest up, she said over her shoulder with a wink. I set both your alarms for 4 a.m. tomorrow. Ash felt something rise up in his throat, and he couldn't figure if it was a sob or if he had caught Red's poison. Red sat at the bottom of the stairs, exhausted and angry. He didn't even bother waking up his Pokemon, he wasn't cruel enough to force anyone else to awaken at this ungodly hour. Within a few minutes, he heard the groan of his parents' door open and the stomps of feet coming down the stairs. Red took some relief in seeing his father look as miserable as he felt. His mother, on the other hand, looked shining and ecstatic. If only the poison had lasted a second day. Morning, Ash greeted, instantly yawning in his hand. Where's Pikachu? Red asked, noticing his father's starter was currently not sitting on his shoulder. He took one look at the clock, snorted and went back to sleep, he answered, turning to his wife. Like a sensible creature. Oh come off it, you're going to have a blast, Misty said, adjusting her husband's head before pushing both boys out the door. Now remember to be back by noon, Janine is excited to show you part two of her training. What does this entail? Red groaned, humorlessly. Anthrax. Better. Paralysis. Misty smiled, sending the boys out onto the sandy beach with a final shove. Have fun. The door shut with a slam, leaving Ash and Red no choice but to walk out into the darkened beach, fishing poles in hand, to spend the morning together. Silently, they walked along the beach before setting up themselves at the end of one of the island's docks. Reaching into his bag, Red pulled out the box of lures his mother had packed, face falling slightly when he saw that they were all shaped like her. I can't believe she actually thinks this works, he grumbled, threading his line through it effortlessly. Adjusting himself to cast his line, he looked over to see his father hunched over, still trying to thread the hook. He waited a bit, almost unable to believe what he was seeing. 
Could it be that his father, the great Eshketchum, couldn't tie a fishing hook? Glancing sideways, he cast his line quietly. He figured he'd give it another minute. The minute wasn't nearly long enough, as after a few seconds he heard his father grumble some sort of swear to some sort of deity under his breath. Red secured his rod to the holster he set up along the dock and crouched down next to his father. Here, he said, taking the line from him and threading it slowly. The more you do it, the more likely you are to fray the wiring. After one mistry, Red managed to successfully tie the hook and lure. Hey, thanks, Ash said, scratching the back of his head embarrassedly. It's been a while since I had to tie one of those things. Red nodded, handing his father the rod so he could cast his own line. Taking hold of his own rod, Red took a seat on the edge of the dock, feet swinging over the water as he watched Ash wind up for his cast. It was less than impressive, though it did manage to hit water and not take Red's ear off, which was good enough. The dock groaned slightly as Ash took a seat next to Red, both sitting with their legs swinging over the edge of the wood, fishing rods in hand. Oh, I forgot, Ash said, finagling his rod between his elbow as he reached for something inside his backpack. I picked up something for you. Red looked at the bag skeptically as his father pulled out what appeared to be a baseball hat. Handing it to him, Red took it with his free hand, examining it closely. Unlike his old hat, which was red with a white bill, this one was all red with the exception of the top, which was white. I figured since you lost your old one in Celadone City, this could be a good replacement. Ash said, shrugging. That old one was the same hat I gave you, wasn't it? Red didn't answer, instead he ran his fingers across the lining of the fabric. It was new, tough, and needed to be broken in. Um, well, anyway, I hope you like it. I do, he said, flipping it onto his head. It fit perfectly. Thank you. Ash nodded, seemingly happy with how the gift turned out. Repositioning his pole, they both turned their attention back on the ocean, falling into silence. The sounds of the waterfront Pokemon scurrying across the sand was peaceful. Across the ocean, he watched a pair of wingle fly across the water. Red was. Just in the middle of enjoying the quietness when, of course, his father had to break it. Want to play a game? Not really. It's called yes, no, pass, Ash said, ignoring Red's answer. You go back and forth with yes or no questions and you only get to use one pass on a question. The person who says pass twice loses. The teen was quiet for a second, eyebrows raised in thought, and you need to be honest in your answers. Well, yeah, Ash said, looking confused. I mean, what's the point of answering if you're not going to be honest? Red had a lot of reasons, none of which he would voice vocally, all right, you start. Sure, um, the man said, looking up in thought. Do you like water types? Yeah, Red said, still staring at the water in front of him though it's not like I had a choice in the matter. Ha, huh, true, I suppose growing up in the gym was a lot, huh? Ash smiled. Is that why you picked a Squirtle as your starter? No, I was kind of forced into that one, but I don't mind, he's a good Pokemon, Red said, his expression still even. By the way, that was two questions. Oh, you're right. Ash laughed, a little too forcefully if Red was concerned. Okay, your turn. Red paused, mulling over his options. 
he didn't really want to waste the morning asking lame questions about favorite Pokemon types. It's not like his father didn't come up with the game, in any case. Okay, Red said, I's not leaving the ocean. Did you miss me when you left? I should have seen that coming. You can always say pass, Red shrugged, adjusting his line. Of course I'm not going to pass, Ash said, looking sincerely angry at his son. I missed you more than you'd ever know. Do you know how shitty it was to watch you grow up via old pictures that your mother would give to Gary? It was pretty shitty to be in those pictures alone, too, Red said, solemnly. Anyway, it's your turn. Fine, Ash sighed, slipping his rod in the dock holster. Do you hate me? Finally Red turned around to face his father, nearly dropping his fishing rod off the dock, W.H. Watt. You can always say dash. Damn it, I'm not gonna say pass. Red shot, slamming his fishing rod in its holster and shaking his head in frustration. But that's not a really fair question. I mean, there were times when I did. Like, when I was eight and there was a Father's Day event at school and I pretended to be sick so I didn't have to go. And sometimes when Uncle Gary would pick up green and I would wonder what it would have been like if you didn't leave. Red. But I don't think I actually ever really hated you, Red said, feeling his chest tighten. I think I just, I just didn't understand. I know now why you left and how you felt but back then, for all that time. Red didn't realize he was crying until he felt the hot stream of tears cascade down his face. Feeling embarrassed, he tried to rub them away with his hands. God, how old was he? I just, wanted you to come home, he sobbed and instantly felt himself be pulled forward, hitting his father's chest as he was engulfed in an embrace. The fact that he smelled the same only made Red cry harder. I'm so sorry, Red, Ash said as Red burrowed his face into his shoulder, soaking it with tears. I just wanted to keep you safe. I never knew, never thought to think that where I had to be was here the whole time. Why you mean, because I'm a conduit? No, he said, holding him tighter. Because you're my son. Chapter 32, Erica's Terms Green watched as Yellow scrunched her nose while she took a seat next to him on the bed. She was holding the strange, gray shoulder stabilizer that was supposed to keep his arm from popping out of its socket. At least, that's what his aunt had told him. It looks odd, she said turning the brace around in her hands as she continued to inspect it. Like armor for a knight. He sent her a look and she quickly blushed and turned away. But not in a cool way or anything, she added hastily and he couldn't help but smile. Yellow was cute when she didn't want to be. Of course not, Green teased, laughing softly before stopping with a groan. That still hurts. Have your wounds not fully healed yet? Yellow asked, not needing an answer as she eyed the bandages that still wrapped around his midsection and shoulder. Green opened his mouth to answer, though quickly closed it with a strangled noise when he felt Yellow place her hand on his chest. Swallowing hard, he watched as her tiny hand traveled around the bandages, up to his shoulder where she eventually looked up. Their eyes met intensely and her blush grew deeper. He reached up, taking her hand into his own. It was warm, even if their fingers weren't intertwined. Yellow, I dash, green began as the door to his room slammed open, causing the blonde to jump as far away from him as possible without falling off the bed. Furiously, green turned towards the door in a rage that cooled when he saw it was his father. Hi, kitties, Gary greeted, eyeing both the now flustered teens cheekily.
Oh, did I interrupt for a moment? No. Green barked, clearing his throat in an attempt to hide his blush. I was just showing Yellow my shoulder stabilizer. Ah, to be young and show girls your shoulder stabilizers, the man said in a phonostalgic tone. Those were the days. Green glared at his father as Yellow rose from the bed. I am going to get some juice from the vending machine, Yellow said as she headed towards the door. Would either or you like anything? Both oak men shook their heads and with a nod she left, closing the door behind her. Gary sent a smirk to his son as he took a seat in a plastic chair and rested his feet up on the room's window sill. So, he began, resting his chin on his hand lazily. Looks like asking Yellow to keep tabs on you is working out, huh? Wait. You're the one who told that to her. Green exclaimed, looking annoyed. I thought that was Ash. Gary threw his head back in laughter, his feet hitting the floor hard as Green felt the heat rise back up in his face. Nope that was all me, the man said, disgustingly proud of himself. I saw her when I was on my way to Viridian and told her to keep an eye out for you. I figured you'd be fast friends, but of course she takes things so literally you'd think I had sent her on some sort of mission. Green laughed awkwardly, because yes. That's exactly what he had thought as well. Well. Well, what? Do you like her? Gary asked, raising an eyebrow and Green shrunk into himself. Ah, Green. Dad stop, he whined as he turned away from his father. This is embarrassing. No, it's not. She's cute. Gary leaned forward, resting his elbows on his knees. Does she know? Did you tell her? And no, Green stammered, feeling the intense desire for the floor to swallow him whole. Why not? She's totally into you, he said as Green shook his head and Gary huffed loudly. She was basically attached to your bed when you were recovering, kiddo. Your aunt actually thought you were already a thing, to be honest. Green swallowed hard, while he wanted to believe his father he had the sinking feeling that Yellow's behavior came from a place of guilt, not romantic. He was torn from his thoughts by a knock on the door. Turning, he saw it was the friendly face of one of the hospital's doctors with his aunt standing behind him. Good morning, Green, he greeted. How are you feeling today? Better considering I'm about to be discharged, the teen smiled as the doctor chuckled. Are you going to show me how to put this thing on? Yes and once we do you're not allowed to take it off, Daisy smiled sweetly. Ever. What? She's joking. She's joking, urged the doctor, seemingly embarrassed. You should only need it for a few weeks, depending on your comfort level and your physical therapy schedule with Dr. Oak. Green whined softly as his aunt continued to smile. Maybe he would need the brace on forever, after all. Ah, Professor Oak, the doctor said, turning to Gary. The nurses were looking for you. You have a visitor at the front lobby. Is that so? Well, I'll go meet them, thanks. Gary said, raising to his feet. He ruffled his son's hair as he headed for the door. Let me know when I can sign him out, all right. Of course, the doctor assured as Gary closed the door behind him. Gary shoved his hands in the pockets of his jeans as he walked through the now familiar hallways of the Celadon City Hospital. Hopefully Green could be discharged quickly so they could get to Bill's villa before nightfall. As Gary reached the lobby, his stomach sank as he saw the familiar kimono of the city's gym leader. 
He was just in the middle of backing out slowly when the woman recognized him, smiling widely as he lifted his hands to his face in an X signal. No, he frowned, I know what this is about and I am not dealing with this crap. Now, now, Professor, Erica said, her voice as soft and light as cotton candy. You're making a scene. Says the lady in the freaking kimono, Gary huffed, lowering his arms. I'm serious, Erica, I am not in the mood for a lecture. Lecture, the woman said, tilting her head to the side as if she had never heard the word before. I'm not here to lecture you. Gary continued to scowl and the woman laughed like a chatted. She extended her hand to the man, allowing it to linger before grabbing his own and forcefully dragging him outside. Hey. Let go. Fresh air is a wonderful thing, she said, looking over her shoulder with another cynical smile. Wouldn't you say, Professor? Stop saying the word, Professor, as if I'm not an accredited researcher. Gary snapped, pulling his hand back as they entered the tiny flower garden in front of the hospital. The sun was warm as Cherubi and Cherim hopped happily in and out of Brussels around them. If you're not here to lecture me then I don't know why you're here considering the last time we spoke you told Ash and I to screw off. As if I would be so brash, the woman said with a roll of her eyes. I politely refused your offer to join your little club and had the trainers in my gym calmly escort you out. You paralyzed us both with your victory bell before your trainers used their tangela to toss us out to the street. Like I said, calmly, Erica smiled, bending down to pet one of the wild cherubi. When Blaine and Yellow came by a few months ago the trainers gave him a nasty case of poison. I liked Yellow, though. Too bad she decided to stick with the underground, she's a wonderful trainer. Is there a point to this conversation because I have a tight schedule to keep that doesn't involve talking to people who hate my guts, Gary said with a pause. Well, at least not a lot of them. Of course, the gym leader said, lifting up back to her full height as she spun around to face Gary with a smile as bright as the sun. I know you killed Butch. Although he was expecting it, the actual sentence sent him back a bit. Swallowing hard he opened his mouth for the comeback he had long prepared, that he didn't regret it. That the asshole had it coming. How he felt no remorse for what he did to the man who took away Olivine's gym leader, his son's mother, his wife. All of these things were ready to roll from his tongue, but. Stopped somewhere between his brain and his mouth. It was a weird feeling, but luckily Erica was already talking before he could process it. This time I don't want to hear your lecture, she said, and he felt slightly relieved. All I wanted to tell you is that I know an officer Jenny doesn't and thanks to me it's going to stay that way. Thanks to you. Gary echoed, raising an eyebrow. Why? You can't stand me. That's true, but I need you to succeed in taking down Team Plasma and in effect disempowering Lance. Like a light bulb going off in his head, the pieces to this weird puzzle snapped into place. Because you think Lance is working with these guys too, right? I don't think, I know, she said, her eyes hard. The Indigo League has been a shell of its former self since this whole conduit mess started and Lance is scared to death of having them here in Kanto. He fears that with the conduit's powers unbalanced they won't be able to control themselves and will destroy the entire region. Plasma assured him that wouldn't happen and he's working with them in an effort to contain it. By having all the power within Plasma, Gary finished, fist clenching. That's been his deal all along. That's why he ignored Ash's reports when he was part of his Elite Four. 
Why did he say Jasmine's death was an accident? Erica nodded slowly and Gary felt the tension rise in his chest like a volcano. Pausing, he took a deep breath, like the one Jasmine would tell him to take, exhaling slowly through his nose as he found himself. It took a few breaths, but eventually he was back. He was still pissed off, but he was centered. Does Ash know? I told Misty when I went to Sevii Island so I'm sure she told Ash, she explained and by Gary's last call with his friend he could confirm the suspicion. I want the Indigo League to be great again, Gary. I want our badges to mean something. You have two of the conduits now, you need to defeat Plasma and stop this madness. Does that mean you want to sign up now? Gary half-joked. Are you helping them train on the island? No, I'm doing something much more important. Oh yeah. What's that? I'm keeping you out of jail, she smiled, tilting her head to the side. But I won't do it twice. You won't have to, he assured, sticking his hands in his pockets. Though I appreciate the effort, after being held in the rocket's cell for so long I've had my share of captivity for a while. Erica laughed softly before excusing herself to head back to her gym. She was just leaving the small greenery when she turned to lock eyes with Gary over her shoulder. Oh, and one more thing, she smiled, though this one was far more vicious than her previous. I don't ever want the Rainbow Festival to be ruined again. Ever. He could tell from her expression that she was deadly serious. Blue stood in the sand next to Meowth, who was currently wearing a pair of dark sunglasses, relaxing on a beach chair as he took in the island's warm sun. Leaning over the Pokemon, Blue raised an eyebrow skeptically. Excuse me, kid, Meowth said, his voice more annoyed than gruff. You're casting a shadow. I thought Misty was going to send you to Oak Laboratory with Bill's poke transporter, the brunette asked as she took a few steps back, her sneaker-clad feet kicking sand around. Wasn't Red's grandmother going to take you in? I hate Pallet Town and I love the beach, the Pokemon said, adjusting himself in the chair. Also I've been cooped up for years, I gotta work on my tan. Can Pokemon even get a tan? I dunno's, so let's say this is research for Billy Boy, ha. Huh? Meowth laughed, lowering his sunglasses slightly to get a good look at Blue. How's the training going? Okay I guess, she shrugged, looking over the beach. I still don't really understand my powers so most of the training is more endurance-based than anything else. I think my powers need to be triggered or something, it's weird. Meowth nodded, adjusting his glasses on his face as Red's voice echoed from the doorway of the villa. Tell Grandma I say hi, okay. He called to his mother who was on the video call with Delia as he ran out onto the beach, his sneaker skidding into the sand as he nearly passed Blue. Luckily, the girl grabbed hold of the teen's baggy t-shirt before he completely passed her. Hey, she frowned, pulling him to her. Where are you running off to? Sabrina and Janine want us to do three laps around the island before they come downstairs. I know, but today Green comes back. Red grinned, the bill of his new hat casting a shadow on his nose. No way. Yeah. Gary called before they left and they should be landing soon. That's amazing. Blue grinned, jumping in the sand with excitement. Unable to contain his own happiness, Red took her hand and pulled her towards him motioning for a kiss. The brunette, however, knew better and bent out of the way. When the teenager pulled away looking slightly hurt, 
Blue motioned to Meowth with a slight nod of her head. Oh don't mind me, Meowth said, still lounging. I'm just working on my tan, if you two wanna suck face I don't care as long as it's not blocking that sun, Meowth. We were not gonna suck face, Red frowned, kicking the beach chair slightly. Also, can Pokemon even get tans? It's research, apparently, Blue offered, slightly amused. That's Ridicule Dash, Red began before he saw the reflection of something in the sky from Meowth's sunglasses. Turning around and looking up, he saw the familiar form of Gary's Aerodactyl and Daisy's Altaria. They're here. Red was off like a rocket, kicking sand behind him as he ran towards where they were landing. Blue was quickly behind him, smiling as Daisy's Altaria hit the ground, looking annoyed at the warmth of the sand beneath its feet. Hey kitties, she smiled as she climbed off the flying type, yellow following her swiftly before the doctor recalled her Pokemon into its ball. Good to see you. Hello Dash, Yellow attempted to greet, before she was tackled into the sand by Blue. Ack. Blue. This is inappropriate. Deal with it, Yellow. Blue laughed, leaning back slightly so the smaller girl could get her bearings. Across from them, Red watched as Gary climbed off his aerodactyl before helping a lackadaisical-looking green off. Hey, Red, the man greeted with a nod. Green's a little woozy from the sedatives the doctor gave him before we left. Sedatives? Red asked, turning at his friend who was currently looking around very slowly, his green eyes cloudily as his newly braced arm hid underneath his hoodie. Yeah the doctor was worried about the flying being too much so they drugged him up, Gary joked, turning to his son. Hey Dizzy, Red's here. Red. Green asked before looking in front of him and spotting his lifelong friend. Reed. Hi, Grio OMPH. Red grunted as the teen propelled himself forward and clashed into his chest for an intense hug that involved Green rubbing his face against Red's shirt like a skitty. Whoa, someone's drugged. Yeah, Green cooed as he looked up at Red with a smile. But my shoulder doesn't hurt anymore. I'm sure it doesn't. Red laughed before he felt something weird at the back of his head. Still locked in Green's surprisingly strong embrace for a guy with a Shoulder injury, he looked over to see Yellow glaring at him. Yo, what's your beef, Yellow? Are you mad that didn't say hello to you first? She's a bit protective, Green slurred, pulling away from Red so he could whisper incredibly loudly. She was at my side the woolly time I was hurt. She's so nice, Red. Yellow's face turned a bright crimson and Red wasn't sure if he should laugh or hide his best friend from another round of injuries. Thankfully, Blue caught hold of the girl before she lunged forward at the boys. I'll kill you, catch him, she barked, hands outstretched like claws as she fought against Blue's hold in the sand under her feet in an effort to reach the boy. Me. What the hell did I do? Red fought back. Green said it. No, the boy said, shaking his head slowly. I whispered it so she couldn't hear it. Do. You're obviously a really shitty whisperer then, Red snapped as Green continued to rub his face against his shirt. What the hell did they give you at that hospital, Toro's tranquilizers? Relax, Gary said, not even trying to hide his amusement at the situation as he recalled his Pokemon. It should wear off in a few hours. Oh look, Oak is back, Janine said lazily as she exited the villa. Explains all the annoying yelling and commotion. Hello to you too, Janine, 
Gary greeted. Looks like we're roomies again, huh? Yes, but at least this time it's under far better circumstances, Janine smiled as Misty ran out of the villa quickly. Oh, thank God you're okay, she sighed in relief, hugging both Oak siblings before turning to Green who hugged her extra tight. How are you feeling, Green? Amazing GGG, he said, far too loudly as Misty raised an eyebrow at the other teens. He's on painkillers, Blue explained. A lot of painkillers. Misty nodded slowly as her husband followed her outside the house. Instantly, Green unlatched himself from Misty to attach himself to Ash's midsection for another hug. Oh, hi Green, Ash greeted, slightly confused but mostly happy. That's actually the nicest hello I've received in a while. Does it count if it's drug-induced? Red asked as Ash raised an eyebrow at his son. The front door swung open again as Sabrina and Whitney headed outside together. Whitney began a greeting that instantly died on her tongue when she spotted Daisy. Sabrina on the other hand, looked as if she was ready to murder just about everyone on the island. You, the psychic snarled, extending her hand that pulsed with a violet aura before telepathically pulling Daisy forward, grabbing the woman by the collar of her white coat. How dare you step foot in my presence? Hi to you too, Sabrina. Daisy deadpanned, obviously not nearly as concerned as everyone else around her. So happy my brother told me you were going to be here. Daisy sent Gary a look of complete annoyance as he did not tell his sister about Sabrina. At all. Not even a hint. The professor mouthed a small, my bad, as his sister turned back to the woman with a sigh. Listen, I'm here to help Green with his physical therapy, she said apathetically. So whatever psychic mental torture you have planned for me, can it wait until after we've saved the world? Sabrina remained still until Whitney turned to her girlfriend, come on Sabs, let her go. With a final once over, the psychic released her hold on Daisy. The doctor nodded once, before sidestepping the two women and entering the villa. Turning around to the beach, Whitney noticed that everyone was staring intensely at them, even Green though he was drooling slightly from the corner of his mouth. Growing flustered she turned to red and blue with a frown. Hey! Aren't you supposed to be running laps right now, she barked and instantly the two teens were standing rod straight and heading to the perimeter of the island for their run. Both women followed, acting as if nothing had happened, with Janine following behind them slightly awkwardly. You jerk! Ash yelled as he punched Gary hard in the arm. Why didn't you tell her? I got distracted. Gary yelled back, rubbing his arm. And I can say the same for you, considering Sabrina's the one with freaky psychic voodoo powers. I agree with Leader Oak, Yellow said with a nod, turning to Ash. Dr. Oak seemed more uncomfortable while Leader Sabrina was more angry. You should have cooled her anger first before anything else to avoid such an awkward situation. Ash made a face before turning to Misty who rested a hand on his shoulder. Don't worry about it, she assured. I'll make sure nothing gets blown up while you guys are gone. Wait, what? Gary asked, turning to Ash. What do you mean, you guys, I just got here. Yes, and now we're leaving, Ash explained. Bye, Dad. Green waved, leaning against Yellow for support as the blonde led him inside. No bye, I'm not going, the man said stubbornly as Ash whistled for Charizard, who appeared quickly from one of the island's surrounding cliff sides. Don't worry, 
I know Aerodactyl is probably tired from the trip so we'll take Charizard. I'm tired from the trip. Gary protested as the other man pushed him on board. Where are we going anyway? To see an old friend, Ash said as he climbed on Charizard's back, turning to his wife. Are you sure you're okay with everything? Super sure, Misty smiled, pecking her husband on the lips before waving goodbye to a still-protesting Gary. Ash winked before whistling for Charizard to take flight, sending both men off into the sky.